This is The Exchange, humanizing commerce through post-purchase connection. Here on The Exchange, we talk a lot about the importance of building an amazing customer experience. And more often than not, we're talking about the tactics and the tools you can use to implement and build that. But what about the strategies to build and manage a team that's responsible for those direct customer interactions? That's exactly what we're covering today. We're talking all about evolving the role of your customer success team in e-commerce. And joining Tim and I today, we got Marco Yim, Director of Customer Success at Inkbox. Welcome to the show, Marco. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to, great to have you on. Really, really excited to talk to you about the brand and uh, what you've been building over there. And, you know, Inkbox, to start out, you guys have a really, really unique product. So you sell, for, for those who don't know, uh, Inkbox sells semi-permanent tattoos. They're designed to look like the real thing and they, they last about a week. Is that right? One to two weeks, depending on a couple of factors. But yeah, generally speaking, about a week to two. So it... it it's a product and, a, and an experience that I assume people aren't used to because it's it's new. It's like really, really unique. So I would assume you, your your team has some pretty uh, unique conversations with with customers. So the first question is, what kind of educational materials has Inkbox put together to help help those conversations uh, you know run a bit more smoothly? You're absolutely right. Because our product is familiar insofar as people are familiar with the idea of a temporary tattoo. We all grew up as children having stick-on tattoos that, you know, stayed on top of our skin. And oftentimes, when our customers come to ask about our product, or when we see it on social, people talking about Inkbox, sometimes it's in reference to that technology that we immediately think about. So above and beyond just the what is this product or how to use our product, we oftentimes have to overcome some of those barriers as to kind of myth-busting that we're not the same as those old-school on top of your skin types of tattoos. Um, so in terms of, of educational materials for us, it's very important that we stress those differentiators. Um, that's one thing. The second thing that we think a lot about is the how-tos because there are very specific instructions um, and there are also varying instructions depending on different variables. So we really mean it when we say that we're celebrating the unique story of each person and each customer that we interact with. The technology that our, our tattoos have reacts differently to everyone's skin. And so there are certain factors. Are you someone that sweats easily? Are you someone that's maybe in a colder climate right now? These are some of the things that we have to educate our customers about really, really quickly. Um, and then what we are continually doing is we're thinking about what are the different kind of main questions that we get a lot. And one of those things is, how long does it actually last? And, and to your point, right, sometimes it's maybe a week, sometimes it's up to two weeks. And so we have to really educate people about not only what those variables are, but almost creating visuals um, about, you know, hey, if you put on your hand, especially during COVID times, you're going to be washing it a lot. And that will cause a quicker fresh to fade time. Um, and then we get, dive even one level deeper to think about, okay, so how do our customers know what means fresh and what does fade mean? And so now we're creating extra assets where we're you know, looking at a timeline to say, this is what it looks like when it's fresh. This is what it looks like when it fades. Um, so there's definitely a lot of more, how do you customize the, the general tips and tricks and instructions that we share? And how does that apply to you specifically? So that's an interesting kind of foray into 
instructions and educational materials that um, I haven't had to do <laughs> in in previous uh, kind of companies that I work with. It's really interesting because like I- I've been checking out your site a lot and there is a lot of great resources like what you're talking about. Like you have here is what the ink looks like on different skin tones. Here's what the ink looks like after a couple days. Here's what to expect. And like there's also just the like aspect of application. This isn't like the thing I'm getting at a, at a carnival when I was a kid and I would always put it on my bicep and start flexing to all my friends and have like that anchor tattoo on. He still does that. <laughs> every once in a while. But you've done a really good job of communicating that. And I'm guessing that your team is getting a lot of this feedback that is actually informing a lot of what you're doing there. And Marco, in past conversations, we talked a lot about creating a hub of customer communication and customer communication, customer information for the rest of the company. I love how you're thinking about that. So you think I could give our listeners just like a little bit of a deep, not, not necessarily a deep dive, but an overview of what you mean when you say a hub of customer information? It's really cool to me because our president came to to me one day and said, hey, if you were to put a mandate or a mission statement for the CS team, how would you describe it, right? If we were to write about it in an onboarding document for any incoming employee. And the way that I phrased it was, we are a hub of information for the customers when they have questions or concerns or any kind of feedback, suggestions that they want to share with Inkbox. And then internally, we are the hub of information of all of our customers' data to be able to share that information across different departments. And so we've created a model where we're really tracking all of our customer data across different channels at a very granular level. And we use that information on almost a weekly basis, if not a daily basis, to share those insights to the various department leaders, um, whether they're in research and innovation, our marketing team, our web and product team, and our operations team. And so each team has their own specific dashboard where we're looking at some of the core issues or the core suggestions or things that go really well um, so that they also know how to optimize their respective teams. And now that we've kind of established a really strong foundation of how we're tracking that information and how other departments are seeking that information from us, we've started building out a voice of customer program where we're really utilizing our customers as a source of information to challenge the assumptions that we're making about our business decisions. So it's kind of this interesting loop of feedback where we're getting that information and we're passing off to teams. Teams are then coming to us and saying, well, we're going to make these changes. Do you think that that's the right move? Or do you think our customers will react well to that? And then we're going back to our customers and asking those questions. So that's what at at the highest level, you know, being a hub of information, that's what it really means to us. I love that because there's always this delicate balance of when you're when you're striving to be innovative, you need to come up with ideas that no one has thought about yet. So like the marketing team and the web team, they might be coming up with these ideas that we're trying to be truly innovative with, but being able to talk to your team and get like that voice of the customer, but also being able to feed that into those other teams. Like, do you have an example of maybe a project or something that got kicked off as a result of that information flowing to a different team? Yeah, a good example would be a retention study that we did um, a couple months back where we really identified some of the gaps or some of the things that maybe we didn't understand simply by looking at, let's say, our NPS data. 
Um, from NPS, we might know something like, oh, shipping has this impact on our customer satisfaction uh, about our experience. But then what about those passes? What about those promoters? And so by doing a larger study where we're talking to customers, getting qualitative feedback, but also doing some quantitative surveys, we actually learned that there was something about how we were phrasing our sales and how we were displaying our different sale items. And so using that data, we actually then ran a series of experiments about the next three sub kind of micro sales that we ran. And one of them actually became one of our best performing sales we've ever done in 2020. So by understanding what the customer was looking for, and not only what their pain was, but how, what their expectation was, uh, and having those conversations with them, we were able to then create hypotheses and then do a more in-depth quantitative or more traditionally A-B testing type of method to really get to where we wanted to go. Um, so that that's something that is a really cool example. And we've done it now across different examples. We used it to verify our shipping methods and how we display those shipping methods. So now, you know, our international shipping went from something like five to 26 business days to under five business days. Um, and, and that, you know, is really important. And we're now doing that for pricing. We're doing that for marketing. Um, and, and that's really cool to be a part of for us. It's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, so often it's customer centricity has become such a buzzword. It it almost means nothing in the industry today because it's so widely used. But what you're talking about, both from like a foundational perspective of how you think about making changes in the business, but also the way that you guys are organizationally structured. I mean, you are you are actually, I mean, you guys should be offended when other people say customer centricity based on how authentically you guys are doing it. And, you know, I, I, have, I have two, I have two questions for you. These are, these are separate. First one, what, tell us a little bit, a little bit about your background, because what you're, what you're building, like what you've built there is just so unique. Um, I mean, we've talked to so many different brands who maybe some of this stuff is happening under the covers, but it's not stuff that we've heard. Like this is really I actually feel like it's like fairly complex as a way to uh, take customer feedback and create that feedback loop. So I'm curious, like, how did how did you guys land on this? Is this from something you've done in the past? Yes and no. Um, so my professional career started in technical writing. That was what I did first, and I really enjoyed it. It informed a lot of how I think about customer focused work because as a technical writer, you are challenged to assume that people know nothing, and when you start with that assumption, oftentimes it really challenges the way that you communicate with customers, but also how they think and what's important to them. So that that's kind of how I started. And then the vast majority of my career and customer success was actually in more of a B2B environment. That taught me about nurturing relationships in a completely different way and how to have really in-depth conversations with customers that I think sometimes gets missed when we're thinking about e-com or D2C because we're focused on scale. And so by looking at how to take some of those learnings that I had in B2B and apply them more into D2C, I think that really informs how we think about customer success. And, and it was a very conscious choice on our part to call our team customer success and not support or care or service. It's really success. Um, it also does help that I used to work for a company that was in kind of market research. Uh, so it does inform a little bit about how I approach things today. Um, but I think it's it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. 
You know, it can be as simple as talking to your customers and setting reg regular touch points to get that feedback as a starting point, right? That can already uncover a lot for UI. It can uncover a lot for shipping or customer experience. So that that's my background in a nutshell. That's, that's really interesting. We talked to so many folks in e-commerce who have just such unique backgrounds and different paths to the roles that they've landed in. I mean, it sounds like your background really does lend itself really well to like what you guys have created for the customer success team. I'm sure we have a lot of people listening saying, this is like amazing. I wish we could do it. Maybe to, to go to like, let's go to the, the ground level and like, how do you structure your team? How, how is your team set up? Um, maybe share that, share that with our listeners today. Yeah, our CS team is broken down into three smaller subgroups. So we have our customer experience team. This team is solely responsible for what we traditionally think of as support. We're reaching out to customers proactively if there's you know something that didn't go quite right. Uh, we're answering emails across all of our core channels. And we also dabble in some of our kind of loyalty and retention practices. So whenever somebody has a question about, hey, we're building the strip campaign and we want to make sure that factually it makes sense, it's going to the customer experience team. Uh, we have our custom team. This team is more focused around enabling our customers to buy tattoos that aren't part of our catalog already. And it's partially operational. We're reviewing, editing, making recommendations. Sometimes we're engaging in professional services where we're designing something from scratch so that we can really have that authentic touch point with our customer. Uh, and we also help inform you know, how our customers are using our custom platform specifically to make those ongoing changes. And then finally, we have a kind of customer success operation, special projects type of role. This team is solely responsible for collecting insights and aggregating all of our customer feedback and then building the infrastructure to make sure that we're actually able to tag everything that we need to in a granular way. And that is so, so, so important. Um, and, and we can chat a little bit about that as well. But that's how the team is structured. It's kind of three different sub departments or divisions. Yeah, I would love to talk a little bit more about that special ops side of things. Because I, I when we're talking about like innovation versus customer voice, I feel like there's the area where you can really get that, not just the customer voice, but everything you're learning about the customer out into the rest of the team. So I guess my question there is, are you finding that the way, like using that special ops team, is that a forcing function for the other teams at Inkbox to kind of be like coming to you for the insights they need? That's exactly what that is all about. Um, there are certain things right across the company that doesn't necessarily have ownership. When we think about, for example, the tracking experience, is that a merchandising opportunity? Is that a customer experience ownership? Is it our shipping team? Um, or is it technology because you know we're using software for that? And so having an aggregate person or department that kind of project manages and makes and liaises with everybody, um, I think is really, really important because at the end of the day, if something doesn't go quite right with tracking, who hears about it first? It, it's our our team, right? So it's really important that we have a hand in that. Um, but that ops team also deals with all of our tracking information in 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 terms of our interactions. A lot of the times when we talk to CS leaders, or when I connect with CS leaders, we talk about how do we tag our ticket interactions. And that's a really, you can be as simple as like, we're just going to let our, our team members enter whatever tags they want, and then we'll find trends. Sometimes it's, you know, we'll, we'll track it based on the, the type of issue. We go really, really deep into 
What was the tracking number involved? Where is it going? Um, which type of error are we seeing on our manufacturing line? So we're tracking at a very granular level. And if customers give us feedback and say, hey, it only lasted eight days, that's actually a data point that's really important as well. So we're tracking arguably more than we need to. Um, but that's kind of the beginning of how we can start to understand how our customers think about things, how they're approaching things, the common problems that we have. And then you can start to correlate that with the qualitative data that we collect through voice of customer. We can start correlating that with our NPS data to understand the levers that impact either NPS scores, retention, cohorts, all of that stuff. So um, we use that team strategically to really boost our visibility as a team, uh, but also to, to actually provide these really valuable insights to the rest of the company. And do you see, like, for our listeners that are like, man, this is really, this is really great stuff. Like, I want to be doing this and make sure that the rest of the organization is getting the information that they need. Is there, is there a department or an area of the business that you think is more receptive to this? Like, is there a team that really comes to you more often that if someone was going to start doing this, like, I'm going to focus on that team first because I know they're going to want these insights? It really depends on what your company is focusing on first and, and how you align with that. So the way that we've started to break everything down is as a company, cross-functionally, we come together and identify what our strategic goals are for, let's say, this quarter. We do an assessment as a company to say, these are our priorities. And maybe that gets narrowed down from, let's say, 11, 12 ideas down to seven. From there, VOC and CS comes in and goes, okay, what help do you need? What assessments do we need to make from our customers? What data do we need to start tracking to make this successful and to help us optimize it? And then from there, we have our touch bases and we report consistently on, on those data points. So I don't think there's a, you should start here necessarily. I think you have to look at what phase of business are you in and what are your priorities? And then you put all your energy in that. Obviously, there's always going to be a baseline. For us, we knew just looking at the proportion of tickets or conversations that we're having about our customers that it was always going to be about our product errors if something didn't go quite right. We knew that shipping made up a vast majority of our, of our concerns. Uh, we knew that there were going to be issues about our custom platform. So we immediately built in the infrastructure for that, but then we add on layers to that as priorities change, and then we remove things that we don't need on a quarterly basis as well. So that keeps everything really fresh, and it doesn't feel like we've over-engineered anything either because we're not now sitting there tracking things that no longer exist or are helpful to us. Sure. And you, you talked a lot about, you know, tracking kind of in those last two in those last two explanations. And, you know, I'm sure you, like you, you've, you've talked about dashboards, you've talked about maybe tracking more than you need to be tracking. And then you've talked about like how you guys have strategic goals that cascade down across the organization. So, you know, what are, what are the most important KPIs that your organization is tracking and, and, and why? I mean, I'm sure you have a, I'm sure you have a laundry list of things that you're looking at, but like you can only report up so much, so much of that. What do you, what do you focus on first? And then what do you sort of I don't know, de-escalate down the, down the ladder uh, and just, just manage within your team? Yeah, so I'll speak specifically about the CS team uh, because I think that that's the world in which I have the most visibility into. I break it down into almost three different types of feedback, right? You get your tactical day-to-day -day information. Uh, it might be things like first response times. Maybe it will be data that's specific to a 
uh, a particular team. So one of the things that we might track is the rate of application errors, let's just say, or shipping delays. So that tactical piece is really important um, for us in terms of KPI to see that the data that we're providing to other teams is actually having an impact on the expected outcome, right? And then for our teams, day-to-day, things like first response time, uh, customer satisfaction, super important. The second thing that we're always going to be looking at is kind of more holistic feedback, both in metrics like NPS, CSAT, um, maybe even our public review sites. You know, are we getting higher levels of response rates? Are we looking at, um, you know, higher star ratings publicly displayed? And then also some of the qualitative feedback that we hear from customers. Um, Hey, we really love that you did this. Amazing. We should be leaning into that. And then the last thing that I like to think about is what I call kind of influenced impact. This is what my B2B kind of experience has really informed because... Influenced is such a B2B metric. Influenced (laughs) anything. Yeah, because sometimes we didn't, as as a CSM, right, we didn't own revenue or sometimes we owned renewals and and upsells and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we didn't always own that sale. But if I was pulled in and I gave strategy or I built a demo environment, that to me is how I influenced revenue. So how does that apply to an e-commerce space? Maybe we provided insight into how we should rebuild certain parts of our website uh, or how we should rethink our search algorithms that to me is what I would consider influenced impact or revenue. Um, The sale example, another great one, right? We found this insight. We found this thing for you to test. We didn't own that channel, but we came up with the idea and we helped to push it over the finish line. That to me is influenced impact. And if you can start to create a list of these are the five things that we did and this is the resulting impact, we enabled the other teams to do that. That to me is a, is a measure of success that we don't think about as a CS team or a lot of CS teams don't necessarily think about right off the hop. I love that. I love influence impact. And one thing I noticed, like when you were talking about the metrics you're looking at there, you really glossed over NPS and CSAT. Like, yeah, we kind of look at those, but I feel like every time I go and Google anything, customer success, customer support, and e-commerce, those two metrics are at the top of every single list. Should they be? Yes and no. I, I think that there's a place for NPS and CSAT. Don't get me wrong. We get a lot of insight out of it. Um, and we even use our positive NPS and CSAT data to actually kind of gain insights, whether it's to know that this is something we want to do more of um, or to turn the people into advocates in public forums. Um, and what I'll also say is it's it's really nice for a CS team to see positive feedback because we're so involved in things that don't go right that it's a refreshing view and it really challenges a team to look beyond the granular issues that we see and experience day to day. So there's a place for NPS and CSAT and even more so some of the traditional metrics that I think a lot of CS leaders are looking at, like, you know, uh, the percentage of tickets that are that have a one close, right? That to me is is great, but there it, it either measures only one element of of an experience or doesn't give us enough like real detail into what's happening. Yeah, it's interesting because it's kind of like those 
those kind of traditional metrics end up being kind of more of like the operational side of things where everything that you were talking about earlier is like, how do we get deeper with an understanding of the customer? And how do we make sure that what we are doing is having an impact across the entire business? Yeah, a really good example of that, that I can think of is that number of first close tickets. That is some, some CS leaders out there swear by that metric. And I think there's a place for it. I think it's important to prioritize efficiency. At Inkbox, we've made a very conscious effort to throw that metric out the door. If someone reaches out to me and goes, where is my package? There might be four or five interactions there. First is to figure out what's going on, maybe ask some scoping questions. Uh, Then we're going to give you an update when something has been shipped or when the package is shipped. And then when it's expected to arrive, potentially, if we don't have that data yet. And then once it arrives, we actually make sure that it lands at your doorstep. That's four interactions, and that's a lot more time than that one close. But why we implemented it is because we tested it with a small subset of our team members. And the feedback was resounding. It wasn't just about you know a, a slightly higher CSAT, but people were calling that out specifically, qualitatively, and going, no company does that. I'll ask about my package and they go, it's coming or check back in three days or some variant of that. And, you know, that to me is not something that you just measure, right? It's something that you have to react in real time and go, this is really working and this is really having an impact on how our customers perceive our brand. That is equally as important as the CSAT or the NPS data. And that's why we've implemented new playbooks that really breaks rules and that's okay. Sure. What you guys are doing, it's, it's such a great example. And we talk about this a lot at Loop of like, what does the future of commerce look like? And in a lot of ways, I think the future of commerce looks like what original retail used to look like. And, and what you just talked about is a perfect example, like the, the balance of being efficient so we can scale and find an infinite number of customers, which is no longer infinite because there are more and more competitors popping into the space every single day. So if you can accept that as the truth, how do you stand out as a brand? It's by going above and beyond. It's by being personalized, not just through technology, but literally being personalized. The fact that you reach out to the same customer four times, you know, another customer success leader might look at that and say like, nope, what's the cost associated with that? But you're nuts, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they think you're nuts, but like, that customer, if they when they go to buy their next semi-permanent tattoo, there's no way they're going to one of your competitors. They are definitely going back to Inkbox. I'm sure That's I'm telling you things that you guys talk about all the time, but it's just it's refreshing That's to hope. hear. Yeah. No, I'm, well, I'm glad. Yeah. And have you have you found like hiring or, or building your team has needed like have you had to look for a different type of skill set because you guys are doing this differently? We really have a focus on a pretty diverse skill set. So I don't necessarily look at someone and go, do you have CS experience? Uh, We're pretty open-minded when it comes to the type of background this one has. Maybe because I had a very non-traditional route to land in D2C success or experience. Um, But every person on the team has a specialty that is above and beyond the day-to-day I'm talking with customers. And that, to me, is really important to really allow us to push the boundaries with how we're doing things internally and externally. We have people who came from our operations team who know our shipping processes, our shipping vendors inside and out. 
they're the people that deal with our our operations team when things go wrong or our shipping vendors to do claims. We have people who are more marketing heavy. So then they lean into more of that crisis communication when something doesn't go right. Or if we want to do a surprise and delight, that's who I'm tapping into. So for me, it's finding a really well-rounded group of people. The base of what I'm looking for when we're bringing someone new into the team is, one, do you have a tone of voice that can balance kind of being corporate, quote unquote, but also having personality. I don't want it to feel forced um, while at the same time being able to, to be friendly and and professional with, with the customer. And then second is, do you have that intuition? We do a challenge where we get our, our team members or our prospective team members to, to show us their skills. And a lot of people will focus on things like writing skills and, you know, can you research using our help center, which is important. Don't get me wrong. Those are things we look out for as well. But there are always one or two Easter eggs that we put in there to go, are you solving a problem directly and in a, like in a creative way? And then two, we include a section where we go, what are your assumptions and what would you do after this interaction? And it's an optional field. And if somebody can go in and provide some thoughtful commentary about how they would either identify this issue and maybe scale it up and talk to more customers, for example, or build a new educational resource because this is clearly a gap in our help center. That, to me, is the mark of a real good CS person. It's not just about tone of voice or your writing skills. It's that intuition for customer experience that we're always looking for. I love that. It's intuition, but also when you're talking about like, okay, this interaction has ended, what does that mean now? Now you're going from like, are we finding someone who's going to solve the problem immediately in front of them? Or am I finding someone who's going to find the root of that, find the opportunity and build something completely different? And it even ties back into like, like influence that your team's having outside, right? Like if we're going to measure influence impact, we need people who are going to be able to do it. Um, Marco, you given us a ton of great insight here and inspiration. Um, one question that we love to ask everyone, though, is are there any other brands out there that you look to for inspiration? So our listeners are looking to Inkbox. Who, does, who do you look out there and say, wow, they're doing something right? Yeah, that's a great question. There are a couple of brands that immediately come to mind for me and all for different reasons. For kind of the, the foundations, just like knowing their stuff, being super responsive and, and having a pretty complex product, but being able to navigate and digest and distill information for customers. I think Shopify does a fantastic job of that. I've never spoken to somebody on their support team that hasn't been helpful or hasn't been able to answer my question. It takes a lot of training and a lot of kind of smarts to be able to do that with such ease. So I love the way that Shopify approaches their support team, uh, technically amazing. From a kind of surprise and delight, how are we doing things interestingly? Chewy is a great example of that. They have, you know, teams of people that just focuses on how do we make that interaction so magical and special? I love yeah. what they're doing. They're amazing. Right? I, I love, I mm -hmm. love everything they do. Mm -hmm. Um, well.ca, great for seamless experiences and being very proactive with their interactions and how they're communicating with their customer. They actually take a very authentic approach. I remember seeing so many of their communications during COVID when it first started and was so wowed by it. And also really just love how easy their returns and exchanges have been every time something has 
you know, either been an issue, they've resolved it quickly. Um, and then finally, from like a brand voice perspective, I love a small company. They're not actually that small anymore. Uh, Colin Canary. They're based out of Winnipeg in Canada. And it's a very stylized tone of voice and it's very specific to their customer, but they know their customer so well. And everything from the packaging to how they talk to you when you reach out to them, it's so consistent and so much fun. I, I love that. Um, so those are four brands that I'm, I always look to uh, for various reasons to help inform or in, inspire uh, how I want to do things differently as well. Awesome. And we'll make sure that all the brands that Marco mentioned there get into the show notes so that you can check them out. We'll try to find some examples that he talked about to, to give you there too. And Marco, this has been amazing. If I was going to summarize everything we talked about today, it's you need to make your success team or support or however you're calling it, it needs to become a hub of customer information. And you can't just look at it as information flowing outward. You need to be making sure that the rest of the teams in the organization are looking to you to grab that information as well. We talked a lot about the metrics to be looking at. And if I had to summarize your advice here, you got your operational metrics and you have your experience metrics. Make sure that you're taking a look at both. They're both important. Um, and when you're looking to hire people into your team, like it doesn't need to be someone who has a wealth of experience doing the job that you're bringing them in to do. Make sure that you're looking for that personality, that intuition. And Marco's advice would be make sure you're testing them for kind of what they're going to do after that interaction. You want a support, a success team that's not just solving the problems in front of them right now, but is solving the future problems of the customer. Sound like a, a good summary, Marco? Couldn't have done it better myself. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if someone wanted to um, interact with you after this, like, can they follow you on LinkedIn, Twitter? Like, where can they go interact with you personally? Yeah, feel free to stop me on LinkedIn. Uh, Marco Yim, <laughs> M-A-R-C-O-Y-I-M. Uh, you can also find me um, via my uh, my own company, Extempra, uh, extempra.com. Uh, I'm pretty snappy with emails and LinkedIn requests. So yeah, please, please, please come talk to me. I, I love just meeting new people and, and kind of seeing what other cool things other people are doing. I think that, that there's such a great community of CS folks out there. Um, and I always just love chatting with people. So yeah, please, please, please come talk to me. We'll make sure that all those get to the show notes too. So you guys can connect with Marco and Marco, this has been fantastic. Thanks for joining us today, man. Thank you so much for having me. It's so much fun to, to be nerding out over, over CS and, and retention and what all that means. So thank you for having me. Thanks, Marco. That's been The Exchange presented by Luke, the returns platform for Shopify. Thanks for listening.